Eagles Entertainment. This is Lane Johnson, and you're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast with Dave Spadaro. Hi, everyone, and welcome. My name is Dave Spadaro. This is the Philadelphia Eagles Insider Podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group. And what we try to do each week on our podcast is talk about, obviously, the Philadelphia Eagles. We talk to players who are on the current roster. We talk to coaches. We talk to alumni. Uh, We will talk to fans as well. And we talk to people who have really cool jobs within the organization. So we wanted to, as we do this off-site, as part of the BPHL Innovation Fest in Philadelphia, the inaugural Innovation Fest in Philadelphia, uh, introduce to you one of our very innovative parts of our organization. Uh, Pleased to welcome Alec Hallaby, the Vice President of Football Operations and Strategy. Now, we are talking about the Eagles winning football games, and there are many components that go into that. So today we want to find out from Alec uh, how the world of analytics applies to the building and developing of a roster. So um, I am a words guy, so this is all really exciting to me, Alec, that I I remember uh, during the draft asking you, uh, when was analytics I love <laughs> invented that in 2007? Um, so obviously a crazy question. But first of all, welcome to the podcast. How Thanks, are you? Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I'm excited to have I'm you here. I'm doing well. All right, let me, th- let, me, let me throw this one at you here, Alec, all right? This is a paragraph of describing what analytics are. Historically yeah. speaking, tell me how right this is. Right. So, uh, historically speaking, a simple definition of analytics is the study of analysis. A more useful, more modern description would suggest data analytics is an important tool for gaining business insights and providing tailored responses to customers. Accurate? <laughs> <laughs> we sure. I, we don't think as I don't think so much about business insights or customers. But I would say the first part of that. Uh, yeah, we could go with that. I think one thing, it, people have regularly asked me, what is analytics? You have asked me before, Absolutely. what is analytics? And for me, that's always been a very difficult question to answer. I've never thought of uh, never thought of myself really as an analytics guy or that just looking at analytics. Um, it had sort of been from an early age that I wanted to understand what was going on on the football field, right? And so part of that is going to be looking at a bunch of data and people call that analytics and then part of it will be watching what happens on the field and trying to understand that and people don't call that analytics so I think um, something involving structured data involving objectivity usually involving numbers it would fall under uh, the rubric of analytics but um, as someone who's nominally done that for 10 11 years I don't know exactly what is analytics and what isn't Analytics. Oh, well, this should yeah. be a good conversation because yeah, I certainly don't. Uh, let's introduce you to Alec Hallaby. Uh, he joined the Eagles actually in, in 2007, interned uh, during his summer uh, away from Harvard, uh, graduated from Harvard in 2009. What did you major in at Harvard? I was actually an English major and an econ minor. Unusual, okay. ba- unusual path. We will, t- we will talk about guy. the path to the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. Uh, began as an intern in football operations in 2007 and then in 2009. In 2010, promoted to the position of player personnel analyst, which means what? At that point, uh, it was I was working with uh, I was working with Howie, our current GM at that point, um, on player personnel decisions. So front office. Similar stuff to what I've worked on throughout my career. A question comes up, uh, some sort of front office decision. We want to bring data to bear on that question. We want to help ourselves make a better decision. Um, And then I would sort of weigh in in that way. Okay. Uh, Focused on player evaluation, roster management, resource allocation, with a particular emphasis on integrating traditional, which is kind of where I come from, 
and analytical methods in football decision making. So what's really interesting is how the Philadelphia Eagles, as everybody knows, we take a very innovative approach to the way we do business, every part of our business. Football is certainly no exception. And I wonder, Alec, if you can kind of, we'll talk about you first. You, you played football as a kid. You were a football fan. You're a sports fan. How did you get into the idea that numbers and data would be your career? Yeah, um, that came very early, I think. For me, it was really through, it was almost through newspapers, to be honest, when I was uh, 7, 8, 9, 10. And the only thing available to you were was the sports page in the morning, right, and box scores. Um, and that was a natural place for me to understand what had happened in a game. Um, you know, I remember sort of going through Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith in 94, 95, and I was young and trying, you know, arguing with friends about the players. And then you'd look at yards per carry and you'd look at things like that. And you, of course, would never think of things like that at analytics at that age. But I think it was pretty natural for me to, um, to look at what data there was. You wouldn't even have really thought of it as data in that point. But... Um, and then also to watch the games. And then I think at some point uh, when I was 15, 16, 17, realized that uh, my playing career would end on Friday nights. Um, but I loved thinking about football. Um, wanted to figure out a way to think about it 8, 10, 12 hours a day. Um, and the way I saw the game was partly through numbers and partly through watching the game. Um, at that point, it was, uh, you know, Moneyball had sort of, just bubbled up in the culture a little bit. This was before the movie, a little bit even before the book, where uh, that sort of view on, on sports was taking hold in baseball and basketball, and I realized there, there might be a path for me there. So when you talk about newspapers and numbers, I would call them statistics, not analytics. Is there a significant difference? Is, is our statistics that we see, in the, they, that's yeah. analytics, correct? Yeah. You take it to many, many different levels, of course, which we'll get into, but the rudimentary you know, the foundation of analytics are batting averages and yards per carry yeah. and all that stuff. Like, I think, I guess I think of things like batting, let's say in baseball, the things like batting average, I think of that as a very simple form of analytics and that, or statistics. I don't really know, to, to answer that question, I don't know the difference between statistics and analytics. I know that if you're trying to understand what's happening on a baseball field or on a football field, um, maybe you'd start for a running back, you would start looking at yards per carry, and then you'd want to go see what they're doing situationally, and then you'd tr want to try to adjust for the context. Um, so it starts very simple, then you keep adding more and more layers, uh, and I think as, as you add those layers, maybe then it becomes analytics. There becomes a modeling component to it. Um, you're starting to use different statistical techniques because you want to control for certain things and not others or understand certain things that just a simple number can't give you. So I think that's generally been the way it's worked in baseball where you'd have numbers that were in the game uh, from the 40s onward. In football, numbers have always been a part of the game. Like I think there's, uh, there's a little bit of a misconception about coaches in many ways because I think historically coaches in football have been very, very data-driven. It's never been called analytics, but if you read about you know, people from Lombardi onwards, Tom Landry, all these people, they're studying opponents. They're studying tendencies. There are numbers that are behind that, right? Um, it wasn't called analytics. It was just the way you try to understand an opponent. Um, and then now, I think in the modern age, the term analytics has sort of branched into something else. But I don't always know if that's a positive thing. I think in many ways, it's probably not a positive thing, right? We're all just trying to understand if you're pre preparing for an opponent, understand what that opponent is doing and whether 
uh, it's something they've been doing since 1985 or something that you're just, you just got new data and doing for the first time in 2019, uh, I think the purpose is, uh, is pretty much the same. I guess my first, now that I think really deeply, uh, dive into analytics, as I put up the quote signs yeah. with my fingers, would be Bill James, Baseball Encyclopedia, many layers deep in numbers. Alec, is he kind of credited as one of the forerunners of what is now known as the modern world of analytics? Yeah. Yes, he definitely is and deserves a, a ton of credit. I think one thing you, you learn from Bill James, or at least I feel like it was something I learned from Bill James as a teenager reading those things, is that the history of quote-unquote analytics goes back much farther than the 1970s or the 1980s. Um, the Starting point I frequently see cited in sports and that resonates with me is uh, Branch Rickey with the Brooklyn Dodgers um, in the late 1940s, hired a statistician named Alan Roth, and many people cite that as, that's frequently used as an example of analytics is not so new, there have always been data-driven front offices, right? Um, Bill James comes around in 70s, 80s doing that. I think even in football there was a lot of stuff going on in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Virgil Carter uh, was a quarterback and then became someone who studied football analytically um, with NFL teams. Um, Pete, Por P uh, excuse me, Pete Palmer, Bob Thorne um, in the hidden game of football in the 80s or 90s, whenever that came out. And then I think um, g gradually it increased in front offices. Certainly uh, a guy that's always, I've thought a lot about is Sandy Alderson, who sort of ran the, ran the A's yep. yeah, in the 80s and 90s. Um, and typically, looking back on it, we think of Billy Bean as he was the one that was in, in Moneyball. But um, I think when I started reading about that stuff in the mid to late 90s, um, there was a guy named Rob Nyer who was writing about uh, these sorts of approaches in baseball. I loved that stuff. I could, couldn't read enough of it. And Sandy Alderson was doing all this, hired Billy Bean. And then Billy Bean sort of carried it into the into the Michael Lewis book. Okay, so you're you're at Harvard. You're geeked out on analytics numbers. What you <laughs> I don't know football? if that's how I describe myself Lo as a 20 year old. <laughs> I lo loving loving the game. Sports is, is yeah. your thing. You want to work in the world of sports as so many people do when they're in college. They want to know how do they get into that. So how did you get noticed? Yeah. At Harvard, how did you how did you how did you get the attention of the NFL of the Philadelphia Eagles of Howie Roseman? Right. So one thing I correct you on there is for me it was not just I want to work in sports um, and that's the, that's something that was different I think it was I want to work in I have a particular passion for this game I love football um, and if I wasn't doing football it would probably be something entirely different but it was really this game the strategic complexity the preparation the 11 on 11 nature of it um, it was something where I felt okay I could think about this all day every day how do you build a team how do you understand what's going on on the field um, so I think once I it was I think I was 16 or 17 where I thought, okay, I might want to be in an NFL front office. Um, and then from there, so I worked for a uh, football website when I was a freshman in college. Um, but then to sort of, the way I got that was that I'd done football research in high school. So you're taking AP statistics or whatever intro statistics course when you're a sophomore or junior. And uh, my projects would be on the effect of quarterback height on performance, right? Like I was a relatively, I was a 6'1 quarterback, which is a short quarterback. I wanted to study how, what was the effect on that? Uh, did those quarterbacks have a chance? And then um, sort of do some work there. You send out emails to whatever football analytics stuff you could see online. Um, and then from there, ultimately uh, found a couple email addresses in the league and sent out, uh, you know, 32, 64 emails mm -hmm. to, um, didn't get many responses, but 
Um, the Eagles had always been uh, thinking about how to do something different, how to get any sort of edge. They'd been, um, between Jeffrey and Joe Banner and Howie, they'd been thinking about that stuff long before I came there. Um, and then so got a hit back from the Eagles, um, came in in 2007, um, and then came back when I graduated. And I think at the same time was realizing that uh, I would have to educate myself a lot on the X's and O's. I, would, I was not someone who played in college. I was not someone who played in the NFL. Um, it would be, you'd be held to a little bit of a higher standard in terms of your football knowledge. So um, there's a lot of stuff you could do on your own time. You could go to, you know, spend time going to coaching clinics. You would buy some of those books because you wouldn't get exposure to that sort of stuff in high school football or in a college econometrics course or in an English course, certainly not. Um, so that was sort of the path for me. That The general advice I, I give to people when I talk about this is, one, I, I see a lot of people who just want to go into sports generally, and I think there is... Uh, having a particular focus on a specific, fo- a specific sport is very helpful and important to sort of dive into that and become a master in that domain. Um, and then the other thing is that there's so much data available right now that you can get online, that you can scrape yourself, that you can create your own data set. Uh, so there's nothing more powerful than seeing someone who's actually done some work themselves rather than talking about it, rather than just thinking about it. Um, go create that data set, download that data set, do whatever you have to do to get that together think about a question that would interest the front office or that interests you, try to answer that question. It doesn't need to be the perfect, perfect answer. That, that effort to do it and how you think through those problems are just as important. Uh, share with me, I, I'm having this vision in my head, 2007. Uh, the Eagles, with they're sitting around at the NovaCare complex, big conference room, Andy Reid, Jim Johnson, former defensive I was not in that room in 2007. I, just, I, just, I would have loved to no. have seen what, and this is Alec Hallaby, our, we are helping with analytics, and I was going to imagine Jim Johnson turning around going, Dave, I was huh? in the closet. I was not around <laughs> <that>. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. What, was, what was the first time that you um, were in front of football people? Yeah. And describe what that was like. Because, it, look, it, it's a new thing for some of those people in the room yeah, who are for sure. old, old school, hard scrabble football. We don't care about numbers. This guy's going to beat this guy because he's bigger, faster, stronger. Yeah. That was, I mean, that was pretty exhilarating. That was like 2009, mm-hmm. 2010. And uh, yeah, I, I still, with, it happened with a lot of different people. But that when it's sort of happening for the first time, you're going, oh, this is great. This feels like I'm, I'd, I'd watch this stuff on, this is what I'd want it to do, right? I'd mm-hmm. want it to be a part of this process of um, thinking about football, trying to build a better team, those sorts of things. Um, I think it is really interesting where the types of people that respond to numbers and to data and to new ways of looking at it. So I think there's a general belief that younger coaches are more interested in this stuff, but um, there's a lot of variation across the age range, across the experience spectrum. So um, early in my career, some of the people I probably connected the best with were older coaches who'd been in the league 20, 30, 40 years who'd played many, many years before. Um, and they, you know, they'd had ways that they'd done things, but were very, very open to anything new. And so that was really, you know, there's a lot to learn from them too, but uh, maybe there, we'd find ways that we would, th- you know, whether it's an offensive line coach or a defensive line coach, they'd been doing it for 30 years a certain way, but um, they were just interested in trying to be better, trying to trying to do something new. And so I think there's ways to connect with those people that, that's really rewarding. So there was no feeling of, and I, I hope the answer is yeah, yes, there's no feeling of uh, feeling ostracized or really having to earn the respect of some of these people. I mean, certainly everybody has to earn the respect, but you didn't feel like you really had to work harder because there's so many people who didn't believe in what you were doing. Well, I think you, I mean, I think anyone new to the league 
has a bit of, they feel like they have to prove themselves, right? And anyone who like wants to help a team and wants to achieve, there's a, a ton of people within any building that have been thinking and working really, really hard on trying to make the best decisions, trying to put the best team on the field. Um, yeah, so I think everyone, like the onus is on, on you to sort of prove yourself and prove that your methods work and that you understand the game. Was there a moment? Was there a, I am in the NFL and I have just convinced Andy Reid that if he tells Donovan McNabb <laughs> to drop back five yards instead of four yards and throw it, get it out in, in, in point no, two seconds nice. faster. I should have some, I should, there should be some moment, right? I, should come <laughs> should. Up. I don't think there's a single moment. I should come up with one. How was Andy with that? Was he into the whole idea? Yeah, Andy was, Andy was really, Andy was very open-minded. I mean, it takes some time, right? Someone's been there, um, been there over a decade before you really arrive. Um, you don't know, I didn't know much about football. I'm coming in with a different way of looking at things. But um, yeah, that was really, to see someone who'd been around, who'd been so successful, um, who was really open to those sorts of things. So the names we have written down here, you mentioned Michael Lewis. Uh, for the 2003 Moneyball. Yeah. Uh, Nate Silver, 538.com. Right. Genius? <laughs> right? Sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're really Is that a question? Or are you, I, I don't I'm know. Just, okay, yeah. Let's don't, go with it. I don't know. No, I like that positive guy. energy. Yeah, okay. genius. Uh, NBA is uh, John Hollinger, who went from, I think, SI.com yeah. to the Memphis Grizzlies. And I believe he's back writing for he The is. Athletic now. So a lot, of the, a lot of the people that I'd read that were doing analytics were non-football people because there wasn't a ton of football stuff out there. So it would be guys like John Hollinger with Basketball Prospectus or it would be um, Baseball Prospectus. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be Bill James and Rob Nyer. And then gradually you started to see um, there's a hidden game of football. There was Football Outsiders. There's various people um, that were starting to do more analytical blogs. You see some academic journal articles, but it really was uh, having to read more of people doing things in other sports and then always I, I always wanted to apply those sorts of things to football and think of it understand football because it was such a complex game because people didn't have a handle on it didn't feel like a solved problem there hadn't been decades of work done on it to sort of narrow in on what was important it was it was a, a new thing back in 2009 10 were the Eagles uh, one of the few if the only team in the league that had and Alec Hallaby were other teams. They had pe many. They had people. They had people before me. I didn't. I Who? didn't start it. Uh, they. They had. A, they had people before me. Like I mean, if you talk to Jeffrey and Joe and Howie, they'd always been interested in this stuff. Um, I'm not aware of any of these people. Who yeah. are they? I've been there forever. I never knew any. Yeah, they did. I think they'd always had. They'd always been interested. Whether it was working with a team of PhDs at Penn or whether oh. it was things like that. Yeah. So there'd, oh, there'd been right. Oh, that. <laughs> Um, so they'd always looked at it that way, and then gradually as data had become more and more available, I think then it becomes more useful, and then you realize, oh, we can apply this to a lot of different areas and a lot of different problems, and it can really help us make decisions. There was a, you know, when I first came in the league, there was not a ton of data available. There was, um, we'd get some play-by-play -play data, but it wasn't that rich, and then you, that's been one of the biggest changes probably is that year over year we get so much we have so much more data now than we did in 2009 like I can think of the data sets I was using to study a problem in 2010 or 2011 and how we would do that in 2019 so um, it, it's very very different part of it is uh, the recent advent of tracking data right so that's type of um, spatiotemporal data that we didn't have before we are still learning how to use it. I think everyone is, but that was the type of thing that did not exist 10 what years is that? ago. 
that is uh, XY coordinates for every player at every point in time on the field. So we, you know, we brought people to the stadium probably to look at installing it. That's the Eight, RFID nine. stuff? That's yes, that's, that's RFID. RFID. Yeah, okay. RFID. So it was initially people, there had been GPS-based systems, there had been other systems. Now the league has put RFIDs on every player. Um, it was something that, again, we'd seen it in other sports many years. You know, I think you could probably find examples of it 10 or 15 years with sport view technology in basketball arenas. We'd talked about putting that in the stadium, but it was really um, infeasible. Uh, then the league had ultimately put it on players. So that's really rich data. We haven't... Um, we haven't really worked with that as much until it came to us. There were you weren't able to get a lot of exposure to it. So it was just a couple of years ago where we're trying to see what we can learn from it. Uh, the experience, sort of what I've learned from people in basketball and baseball who spent a lot of time with that data, is that it does take time to understand what's going on and to start to draw insights. You know, basketball has had it for for many many years, and I think they're still figuring out what they can and can't take from it. Uh, so I think that same that same sort of process in football, but uh, even at a simpler level player participation, right? Which guys are on the field? In 2009, um, that was not something that we could, we had structured data on, right? I remember having to, we had some trade that was uh, linked to playing time for another guy. And I was, I may have been an intern, I may have been my, my first year, and I had to watch each of his plays, right? To see how much he was playing as the year snap went counts. around. Snap didn't have snap counts. Yes, yeah. That's not analytics. I don't think that's analytics, but it was the type of thing we didn't have we didn't have data on that. It, we had to create that. Now all those things are taken for granted. You get them in a, in a structured form. In a moment, I really want to dig into how analytics help build a football team. But getting back to the, uh, the RFID and the, the GPS, uh, it, it, again, connect the dots for me. So, that, so when we see uh, the next-gen stats, right, okay, that's broadcast. what that stuff is, yeah. the, the speed of the player as he runs down the field exactly. or the arc of the football because there's the the measurements within the, inside the football, yep. right? So that's what, that's what the fans see. Yes, yes. What so that, you see is a whole different layer of analytics that you're still trying to figure out how to work. Yeah, and the league is actually releasing some of this data now in, in their, uh, it's called the big, their Big Data Bowl competitions, and they'll publish some, uh, publish some research on, uh, on, fo- on NFL topics using that data. But yeah, imagine you see the velocity that a player's moving at but to generate that you have their xy coordinates at each point in time so it is a really big rich interesting data set that that's exciting all right so let's talk about player how are analytics used in the nfl uh player evaluations projecting a college player to the nfl um look i mean there's the everything the every single play is broken down teams spend a lot of money and resources personal resources sending uh scouts to colleges to watch them in practice to interview all the people around them to uh interview them during the course of time to uh break down each of their plays um to time them at the combine to measure them as they bench press 225 pounds as they do a standing broad standing jump and uh three cone drill etc what other stuff are we talking about that you're using that help teams evaluate players yeah. going from college to the NFL? Well, I think one thing you're pointing to right off the bat is that it is a really, really collaborative process. All, like the whole process of player evaluation, you just mentioned all of the people and resources and different types of information that's used in that. And that's totally true that there are, multi- there are multiple inputs in that. Um, the way I think about it is like part of it is we're trying to um, 
understands a player's performance, what they've done retrospectively, what they're doing in the present, right? So what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? So a lot of the most understandable forms of analytics um, are where you're just trying to identify this player's strong at this, he's weak at this. You can imagine with pro players, you want to know, okay, what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Do we think the weaknesses will change? Do we think that the strengths will remain in a new context? That sort of thing. Um, the other part, the harder part, is more predictive, right? Is what do we expect this player to do in the future? Um, so that's, you know, that's the more challenging, the more interesting problem. But I think some of the low-hanging fruit is probably uh, if you can put data to things that had just been intuitions or anecdotal. So if you go, I think this player, when I watch him, I think he does this. And then you get that from 50 plays, and then we can look at 1,000 plays and go... Uh, yeah, he's doing that. That's true. That's the case. Or no, actually, he's that's a weakness for him. There's this other player who's really good at the at the trait you're describing. So I think breaking it down that way um, and trying to aggregate across uh, across thousands of plays. Which statistics actually mean something to you? Which, which ones which, are the most important ones? What what uh, as you're predicting a player's yeah. growth into the NFL? Is it the forty time? Is it the three cone drill? What matters? What yeah. really matters? I think that's something that every team plays close to the vest, probably, because that you know you have some, you have some a priori beliefs. Then you have what the data is telling you, and then um, you know it's something we study and try to figure out on a position by position basis. But I think that is the type of thing where every th- every team is trying to solve that problem and would and would play those pretty close okay. to the vest. Okay, gotcha. Uh, as you uh, you've, you've got a player, he's a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. You're building a roster. What are you doing now at this point, kind of evaluating a player once they're in the NFL? Yeah. Um, so I think you're, again, you're looking at uh, sort of what are they trying to understand their strengths and weaknesses in, in retrospectively and in the present, predicting what they're going to do in the future. Um, and then I think also thinking about how they fit, how they fit in the context of the team. So um, we're always dealing with trade-offs and choices. So uh, we are, you know, we have finite resources, whether it's cap or picks or roster spots even, right? So then it's how do you maximize the quality of your roster, the quality of your team, given those constraints. Um, So you don't get a player in a vacuum. You get them compared to another alternative player. There's some sort of counterfactual. So you want to compare whatever player you're looking at to what are the alternatives there. Um, And I think trying to maximize across, across the full roster. Draft weekend, and then, like, let's say during a time when there might be a trade being made, what is your role? Uh, is Howie coming to you? Uh, are, is there certain specific um, analytics that you are required to provide? Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how does that work in your role? Yeah, I think we're trying to – so the main thing is they're trying to be objective about the value we're getting and the value we're giving up, right? So um, there's some sort of maybe we're giving up picks, maybe we're giving up a player, trying to put an objective – value on that and then looking at the on the other side of the ledger ledger okay what are we getting back trying to compare that to historical comps to see what um whether this is above above market below market in line with market um so i think it's it's just being more objective about the value you're giving up and what you're getting back and to see how those how those compare I and usually in the nfl pretty much converges on there are very few there are very few transactions where it's clear that one team is getting the better of another team that that's very rare. It pretty much converges on something where you shrug and go, yeah, this seems fair. We had an instance, if you recall, last uh, March. Eagles make a trade. We acquire a running back by the name of Jordan Howard. It happened uh, during the week in the evening. I was at the Sixers game. I ran back to the Novacare complex 
and I contacted <laughs> you. you. Working hard, and, I know. Entertainer. <laughs> I contacted you, and uh, it wasn't like I needed to build a case necessarily for Jordan Howard, yeah. and, but you always want to present it in a this is a uh, this is why the Eagles made this deal, and um, I I knew that Jordan Howard, his numbers, his yards per carry, his total yardage, his touchdowns. I called Alec, and Alec provided me with a really good list of here's the analytics on his third and short yardage situations. Here's this is the negative plays, et cetera, things like that. So the, this is in the in the instance of that, uh, are you preparing a a deep dive into the reasons for and against acquiring a player like Jordan Howard? Yeah, so I think it starts with looking at the player it's you're not just looking for the positives right no, so no, you can't yeah, yeah so uh i think you hear that a player is available you start you want to evaluate that player look at what he does well what he doesn't do, do well um try to adjust for contextual factors right because we can see how much you know you're one guy out of 11 on that field um so we try to adjust for that as much as we can and then project what they would do in the environment that they're coming to which is the particular team and scheme and players that we have. Uh, so yeah, going in, you are trying to put some sort of value there. What does that equate to in, in pick terms? What does he do well? Um, what are things that uh, you'd like to see the player improve on? So that's, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much right, that you are trying to get a full sense of the picture, uh, full sense of the player um, without just looking for the positives or just looking for the negatives. Draft weekend, um, the formula that's always used for the draft and trades within the draft is some antiquated uh, formula devised maybe by Jimmy Johnson or something. I don't, I don't even remember. Yeah. Is that still the, the standard? Are you, what is your role there? Are you providing a case study on moving up, moving down during the course of a draft? Yeah, it's still, so that, I think what you're referring to is the Jimmy Johnson chart from the, uh, I believe, 92, 93, something like yeah. that. Uh, that is still the sort of, I think of it as the market value of picks. That's what they trade at, essentially, teams in the league, use that they agree that that are, that is the, those are the prices for picks so it makes it easier to do transactions you can imagine if you're trying to trade with someone and you say this is worth x and they say it's worth x plus 500 it's going to be hard to actually do any sort of deals so i think part of it is ever people have agreed it's sort of this agreement these are the market prices it makes it easier to do transactions um, and everyone is working off those same sort of that same sort of price sheet during the course of the week, Alex, we talked a little bit about the GPS and the and the ARFID. Um, players are wearing that during practice, right? Do they? Did yeah. you, do you, are you involved in any measuring their uh, energy output during practice and their speed output? What kind of data are you getting from yeah. that? Our, our performance department does a does a great job with that. And so performance, a lot by the way, is is. Uh, the term that a, a dinosaur like myself uses would be the sports science. So, but <laughs> yeah, now we're not a now, That's not a dinosaur. But you know, that's I mean, okay. but, the, yeah. thank you, but we now, but it's now morphed into being called the performance. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Just I think performance clear, or sports for, for science. People. That's okay, okay too. All right. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there so you get a th those guys. There's a long history of that. It feels like it starts in Australian rugby that yep. gradually came the over and yeah, gradually came over um, into American sports came over into football. Now you're seeing, I would say, the majority, uh, if not the vast majority of teams do some sort of workload tracking in practice um, where they're trying to figure out, are guys working within their norms? Are they really outside their norms? Um, try to keep guys uh, healthy and, uh, and optimizing performance in that way. One of the, I, when, when Alec and I talked about this before we uh, 
came together here. <laughs> the the one story that I'd heard about analytics, really, um, because you know you hear it, and sometimes it just it just sounds like statistics to me. I remember after the Super Bowl, our defensive line coach Chris Wilson at the time uh, talked about how he embraced analytics because of this very fact. And I told you this story, and you added credibility to it. Um, the Eagles had done a study that uh, determined Tom Brady's was it his average or his, his preferred dropback point, which was something like five point something yards from the line of scrimmage. And so for those two weeks of practice, they, the point was to have the defensive lineman practice ending at that exact spot. And so what happens at the end of the game, Super Bowl 52, Brandon Graham makes the inside move, gets to that point, knocks the ball out, Tom Brady fumbles, we recover, kick a field goal, eight-point lead. Coaches go, yeah, analytics really works. I, <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think that was the reaction. That, that was the I'd <laughs> also, when you told me that from Chris, I'd never, I hadn't heard that yeah. from Chris. That was, new, that was news to me. I mean, we, You're we study that. You. Yeah. We study that, but I said, really? That, yeah. 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 Uh, but, yeah, that's an example of uh, something that, Coaches have looked at that for 30 years. That is not that is not new. We did not invent that, but we maybe you find over time different ways to do it more precisely or to put some structure around it. Um, so yeah, that was a cool story. I'm glad yeah. you told me that. Dave. What are you doing during the course of a week then, Alec? As the Eagles prepare for big game after big game. Yeah. Um, so part of the week is opponent preparation. You call it. So we'll we'll work with our coaches on any sort of questions that come up or. Um, analyzing the opponent. So strengths, coaches will come to you tendencies. with questions. Yeah, or there's a right, you know, at this point, there's sort of a battery of things that you do on a week by week basis to analyze yourself, analyze opponents. Um, and then the other part of that is working in a more in a front office role where you you have an injury, you're make you uh, you're looking at a trade, you're sort of look it's more roster based. Um, so a lot of the game preparation stuff is done early in the week. You do it. Uh, in the same way that the coaches would do early in the week, and then you shift to um, thinking about things for the roster in the short term, and then um, eventually thinking about, okay, six months from now, you have free agency, you have the draft, you have all those sorts of things. So you're trying to understand your team as the year is going on. You have you have an idea at the beginning of the year what you're going to be like, and then each week you get some more information. Some of that information is about injuries. Some of that information is about performance, and you sort of have to adjust your priors as the year goes on. So for people who let's, – let's kind of try to paint the picture – the collaborative effort to prepare the Eagles for an opponent. There's an advanced team, advanced scout, plural also, that go to see, for example, the Cowboys play the Jets the week before the Eagles play the Cowboys. They prepare a scouting report on the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, there is the idea that coaches are looking at all this tape, all this film, also preparing early in the week for the Dallas Cowboys. I imagine there's just a big, and I'm just kind of, Big bucket of numbers. You guys can't see it now, but Dave is motioning, motioning for a bucket, a bucket, a bucket of, of numbers, numbers, a literal <laughs> bucket of numbers that you right. have to sift through to come up with the. Uh, the <laughs> and you that's know, how it works. I have a bucket the, in my no, office, and, you go, and I just sort of sift through it and right, pick right, things out. Right, and then and so so then all of that is it's put together in this beautiful pot, and it's presented. It's, it's all formed now. They, they, this it's is, like a, this right, is it's quite all, an image. Right, right. And yeah. now it's prepared for this this game plan that is handed to players on. Wednesday when they report report to the Novacare complex. <laughs> That's probably not how I would describe it. But, it's, but it, I would say roughly. I would say the, maybe the way I think about it is everyone has the same goal in preparing for it, right? Our advanced scouts, our coaches, when we look at the numbers, 
we want to understand the opponent, identify strengths, identify weaknesses, do the same thing with ourselves, look at tendencies for them, for us. We all have the same goal. We have different, there are different inputs into that, right? Like not, there's, it is not just as if the numbers are going to tell the whole story or that just watching them is going to tell you everything you need. There's some things you're not going to be able to glean or remember or mentally aggregate if you watch 700 plays of uh, an opponent's offense. You'll need some structure behind that. So we'll help both of those groups and then we'll have some things we do ourselves, but everyone really has the same has the same goal. There are just different uh, different types of information. Some of it is visual, where you can only get it from watching the way a guy moves and seeing how he's beaten and the way he bends and things like that. Uh, and then part of that information is structured, and it's in a database, and we're doing analysis on it and aggregating over thousands of observations. So uh, I would say the goal is the goal is common, and then there's just these different inputs, and we try to help other people as much as we can. And sometimes. Regularly, they will not need help. There are ways they have been doing something for 20 years, and it turns out that's a really, really good way to do it, that people have learned over 20 years that that's a great way to do it, and great, we'll work on something else. Like that's, that, that is not a win or a loss for analytics. The goal for me is not to just do analytics for the sake of analytics, right? The goal is to how do we make better decisions, how do we prepare better, how do we give ourselves the best chance to win, how do we give ourselves the best chance to build it, championship caliber team um, and so whatever way analytics can help in that sometimes it's small sometimes it's moderate um, but it really varies by the type of question how many people work with you in this philadelphia eagles world of analytics um so i have four four people that work for me right now but we're regularly recruiting we have a couple postings up right now and what are you looking for when you're when you're recruiting what kind of what kind of people do you want what kind of backgrounds do you want yeah uh so this will sound obvious but a, a passion or interest in in football mm-hmm. is a uh, is a prerequisite. I do get a lot of resumes from people with very very casual, shockingly casual interests in football, um, or no interest in football. They maybe sort of are really interested in soccer and think, oh, there's a football job. But uh, I think we're looking for <laughs> yeah, right. I know uh, strong technical backgrounds. So um, what are their what's their experience in statistics, machine learning, econometrics? Um, we're also interested in sort of how do they think analytically. If you give them a problem, how are they going to think through it? Um, and then what type of football intuition do they have? Uh, so it is not as if the best analysts are strictly the ones that have the most technical or most uh, the best understanding of statistical methodologies, frequently ones that have football intuition and know the right questions to ask or can look at a data set and, and pull something out from it and also think about the game very, very carefully. Um, I think that's, that's really important. Um, you know, it's one thing to watch it at home, and then there's uh, thinking about it sort of for hours on end and trying to understand what, what's a question I could ask or answer that would actually help this team. Alec, how, is, uh, how are analytics filtering into the world of college athletics, even high school athletics? Are, yeah. Do they have the resources to implement analytics into not only for the performance of the sports, but for the safety of the sport, yeah. the safety of the athletes? Yeah, I think – so one way it's used – one way it's used – this isn't the safety or performance, but one way it's used is with uh, – you know, with college staffs when they're recruiting, their personnel staffs are getting more and more analytical. They're trying to project how a 240-pound high schooler can he become 310 pounds, that sort of thing. Um, I think it's also used by coaches when they're analyzing opponents, and that's that's not maybe so new. They've always wanted to understand tendencies of opponents, but now bringing some more structure to it, systematizing it a little bit. Um, and then 
much of the practice tracking, the GPS, the RFID, those sorts of things, tracking what's going on in the weight room. I think there you're, you're interested in both health and you're interested in performance optimization, right? So if you wanted to just be healthy, you wouldn't play, right? And if you wanted to, there are, you have to sort of balance health and performance optimization. That's why you lift heavy weights, right? There is some risk to living, lifting heavy weights, but you feel like it insulates on, on the field and you feel like it, it maximizes performance. Cool. Where, where's this going? Where's this going to be in 10 years? In 10 years, so I think we'll, the tracking data will become more and more important. We'll figure out how we can best use that. But, you know, we're not there yet. I think maybe we'll be there in 10 years. Um, to track what things that are not being tracked now? Like, what's, is well, there nothing, like a whole no, 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 when I say tracking data, I'm saying the, on the XY coordinate data from games. So that, that data over space and time. Um, that is, those are big data sets. They're pretty messy. Um, it's hard to identify intention from just the movement of a player, right? You still don't know. They're playing cover three. You don't know whether they're supposed to be the, the curl flat player or whether they're supposed to be the deep third player. So there, there's a lot of things that aren't just captured in the movement of the player, right? A guy gets beat. You don't know if he was supposed to have safety help there or if he wasn't supposed to have safety help. Um, so that's why it's not just as simple as looking at the movement of a player and saying he did poorly and he did well and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think the data... Has continued, like the data has continued to grow and will continue to grow, but in 10 years from now, I think it'll just, it's sort of a curve that will continue from where we are now, where um, we have more information about pro players, more information about college players. Uh, you learn things about football too as you use this. So, like, that's one of the things. There are things that five years ago we you may not have known about football because you didn't have the data to study that question. Now you can actually study that question. You want to know how people are moving in response to a certain type of offensive line movement. Okay, you want to know how linebackers are moving. Um, so if a guy, if a, if a safety bites on a play action fake, right? Like you can track that sudden movement and coach him out of it, or. Or is it? Or you go to the player and say, "Hey, this is what you're doing. This is how you can learn how to move differently." Well, I think rather than thinking about it in the in the coaching player improvement context, you could think about it in terms of what are you, what are your offensive players doing, right? Or what are your defensive, what are your offensive players doing to induce that response? Or if you're looking at a player on another team and trying to figure out how they respond respond, you can be more objective about that. Instead of just watching three plays, you can look at what they've done over 150 plays, right? <laughs> sure. Um, I'm going to ask something that I, I'm just thinking of this here. Uh, does artificial intelligence even relate <laughs> into, like, is this, is this where it's going? Is, it, is that, is it is some way in the future it's all going to be intertwined? Or is it already, is there an element of it already involved in some well, way? Well, I mean, Various, stati various statistical I mean. methodologies will fall under the rubric of artificial intelligence. Um, so, like, if you're trying to predict something, people may call that AI or they may call it machine learning or they used to just call it statistics or maybe they may call it some form of econometrics. So, there, anytime you're doing some sort of prediction problem, you could probably gussy it up and say, yeah, this is artificial intelligence. But... Um, I don't know exactly how that. I don't know exactly Dude, how that. Would, I think we've stumbled on something. I mean, here, we've man. looked at Matt, like Madden. You know, people uh, people play Madden. The exactly. AI in Madden is very is very good. That is an AI in Madden. It does yeah. a really good job of simulating football players, right? Anyone who's played Madden know that it is it is great. It's awesome. They do a phenomenal job. Can with you that. do something with the referees? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't mess with that. Come no. on.
All right, how would you yeah. recommend anybody who wants? First of all, do you want to be a GM? Is your goal to be a, a general manager? Of yeah, a I think that's. Team? Yeah, I think when I was, when you get into it, when I got into it, um, you want to help build teams, and then that's sort of a natural. And you've come from the from point. the time you started in 2007. You've built up a knowledge of the X's and O's, which you had mentioned earlier, that that was kind of the part that you had lacked, that you've learned the X's and O's part of it, if, yeah. if that's a requirement of being a GM? Yeah, I think that started in college, really. I don't know if it's totally a... I don't know if it's totally a requirement, but it was, I felt like it was something that would would help me understand the game, and, and everyone's different in the way they understand football and the way they understand systems. I generally like to have things fully specified to understand it sort of at the ground level. I don't like open questions. I usually keep going why, why, why. Um, so that was something where I, yeah, I, I need, it was something that I felt I needed to learn, but I don't know if, if everyone would need to do that. For anyone who wants to be the next Alec Hallaby, what do they do? What do they Discourage do? them. No. <laughs> it's a great gig. It sounds yeah, like it's, it's such it a great gig because you can continue to develop it and really create what, your next frontier is in terms of analytics, right? In terms of numbers, in terms of uh, finding new ways to gain that competitive edge. Yeah, well, I, I think I'm fortunate where it's in a fortunate in terms of the environment and that from Jeffrey and Howie and Doug and, and the environment they've put together, it is really open to that where um, people can try to develop new ideas, can try to uh, sort of best idea wins type of environment. So I don't think it's like that everywhere. It's not like that everywhere in sports. It hasn't been like that historically. You see more and more places getting more open, um, but I think it's it's more a credit to the organization than, and, than anything about me. All right, why does Doug Peterson go for it so much on fourth downs? Um, I mean, he gives us the best chance to win frequently. He does what gives us the best chance to for, win. So, in, so analytically, fourth down... Going for it on fourth and less than whatever it is, which you'll tell me right now. I mean, Doug has a great feel for those things. We try to provide him with uh, whatever sort of data and and insight we can, but he has a really good, really good feel okay. for those things. Eagles take a uh, score a touchdown. They go ahead by seven points. They did it against I forget who they did. Maybe the Jets or whoever it was. They're ahead by seven points. Now I'm ready for the extra point to be kicked. Eight point lead. Here comes Doug holding up the two fingers. Let's go for two. <laughs> you start tweeting. What, what does that matter? What does that mean? How, why? Um, again, that's it's. We're looking at what gives us the better chance to win. It's not so much about the best chance to win. It's not so much about like, what, have teams, not what have teams done. What have teams done in the past, or what will minimize criticism? It's sort of we want to win any game. What's going to give us the chance to do that um, without? as much regard to uh, perception or risk averse or um, Jeffrey always says he's not risk averse, right? He's not, it, no. Fourth down, uh, Super Bowl 52, fourth down and two, uh, Eagles late in the first half, go for, go for it on fourth down. Did you, uh, were you yelling down from the box, Doug, Philly, 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 Philly? <laughs> You couldn't, you couldn't, no, you, you probably didn't hear that. I wasn't doing that. You weren't no, doing that? I was not Were doing that. Were you as shocked as everyone else when he, when he went for it on fourth and goal? No. See, this is why he's the analytics guy. <laughs> why were you not shocked? Because uh, I thought it was, I, you know, going into it, I thought, feels like a situation, this looks like a situation where I think we'd be best off going for it, and Doug went for it, and that he usually, I mean, he makes great decisions in those situations. You're, you're, you feel really good about having a coach who embraces that, that, um, the instincts and also embraces the the role of analytics, which he's yeah. been, which I think you've maybe let me correct me if I'm wrong. 
he, is, he has spoken early in his career about not really knowing its place. He seems to have embraced it a lot more over the last couple of years here. Yeah, I feel like, he, I mean, I, I think he's been, you know, my experience has been that he's been very open about those things, as open as any coach I've worked with. Um, so, yeah, I think that's definitely, you know, among the many positive traits. Alec, thank you so much. Dave, thank Alec you. Halaby, our Vice President of Football Operations and Strategy. We're here at the inaugural B.PHL Innovation Fest in Philadelphia. It's a week-long celebration. We thank our live audience. Thank you guys so much for coming out. I hope you enjoyed it. Alec, thank you so much. Thanks, Dave. Peter Kelly, thanks for putting it all together. Thanks to everyone who's listening to our Eagles Insider Podcast, brought to you by Lincoln Financial Group. Have a great Eagles day, everyone, and fly, Eagles, fly. <laughs> E-A-T-L-E-S-E-O!